Chapter Fourteen of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Human life is a strange thing. Consider it in what way we will. Strip it of all factitious adjuncts and leave it bare and bold as a mere lease for sixty or seventy years of sensations, feelings, thoughts, hopes, expectations still it is strange very strange but man has made it stranger society has put so many clauses into the lease that the covenants are not always easily fulfilled and the tenancy occasionally becomes troublesome i do not mean to say that this was altogether the case with worthy mr winkworth that he was rich was evident that notwithstanding his meagre body stooping shoulders and yellow face he was strong and in good health his capability of enduring long fatigue and the rapidity with which he had recovered from his former wounds in syria proved sufficiently but still he seemed very indifferent to life and when the surgeon as surgeons often will upon very slight occasions thought fit to look grave and solemn while examining his wound the old gentleman turned laughing to charles marston and said with a nod of his head i'll remember you in my will my dear sir he continued addressing the surgeon do not look so serious you cannot frighten me i assure you life in its very best and palmiest state with all its joys and pleasures unimpaired is not so valuable a commodity in my eyes as to cost me two thoughts about losing it there is no great chance of that however this time and even if there were this old crazy worn-out body of which as of a house long in chancery there is little more than the framework left may just as well go down to mother earth to-day or to-morrow as after a few score more morrows which will very soon be passed the ball however was soon extracted and the old gentleman retired to bed treating the whole matter somewhat lightly the next morning when charles marston went to visit him some degree of inflammation had naturally come on rendering him rather irritable of which he was conscious go away charles go away he said go and see your uncle as you ought to have done before now i am cross and if you stay you will find me as bitter as a black dose well i shall tell my servant at all events to be in readiness to attend upon you in case you ring replied charles marston tell him to go to the devil exclaimed mr winkworth the whiskered coxcomb with his airs and graces would drive me mad in a minute no no go away and see your uncle and leave me to myself you may come in about one or two o'clock but mind how you open that door for it makes such a villainous squeaking that one would suppose it had not moved on its hinges for half a century there was a house which charles marston would undoubtedly have much preferred to visit if he had followed his own inclination but nevertheless with a strong resolution he turned his step towards his uncle's dwelling feeling conscious that he had certainly made no great exertions to see him since his return he was immediately admitted for mr scriven seldom betook himself to his counting-house before eleven or twelve o'clock and being a man of very regular habits the ordinary process was to read three or four articles in the morning papers before he set out partly during breakfast and partly during the first steps of digestion afterwards 
i have said three or four articles because in reading newspapers as in everything else mr scriven went upon a system he was one of those men who always have a motive and his motive was usually one and indivisible there was no such thing as an impulse in his nature he did not recollect ever having had an impulse he was babbage's calculating machine in flesh and blood his sister lady fleetwood had told her nephew as we have seen that mr scriven had been very angry upon one occasion but lady fleetwood made a mistake mr scriven was never very angry it did not come within his calculations to be so he could be exceedingly severe bitter caustic and coolly regardless of other people's feelings but he was not the least angry all the while he either wanted to prevent them from doing a thing he did not desire to be done or to stop them from ever doing it again it was still upon a motive thus in reading the newspaper he read those articles alone which were likely to affect himself personally either immediately or remotely he cared nothing about politics except as the price of the funds the value of merchandise the risks of speculation or the amounts of taxation were concerned highway robberies murders suits in chancery police reports trials at bar or in the arches court interested him not in the least except as accepted they were all about other people and he would have considered it a want of due economy to give them the least attention births deaths and marriages in the abstract he cared nothing about and the whole world might have been born wedded or buried without producing one sensation in his bosom provided he could have carried on his transactions without them the gazette the shipping list the money article the commercial statement a few trials for swindling forgery and breach of contract together with reports of the budget the estimates and the debates in parliament referring to commercial matters were all that he ever thought of reading and the lucubrations of editors in what are called leading articles he passed over with utter contempt saying that he trusted he could form as good an opinion himself on matters of fact as any they could give him the reader must pardon me for dwelling so long on mr scriven's character and i do so not because it is at all a singular one for it is as common as the air under different modifications but because there are very few men who possessing the jewel of perfect selfishness are bold enough to display it openly and without disguise to the eyes of all men but mr scriven was at the acme of his class he was as a naturalist would say the most perfect specimen ever found and it requires to be so before selfishness can be considered a virtue and a matter of pride when charles marston was ushered up to his uncle he found him busily reading an account of the bark louisa having been spoken with by the arcadia mail packet in latitude so-and-so longitude so-and-so neither the latitude nor longitude signifies a pin to you or me reader though it did to him mr scriven looked up over the top of the paper as his nephew was announced dropped it a little lower when he saw him and said how do you do charles how do you do charles i will speak to you in a moment and he read through the ship news without moving a muscle charles marston had a great inclination to put on his hat and walk away for it must be recollected that eighteen months had passed since mr scriven had last seen his nephew 
and charles without being angry at the coolness of his reception argued in this manner he does not care to see me i certainly do not care to see him why should i be bored by stopping while he reads the paper there were two or three other little pros and cons in charles marston's mind but they were brought to an end by mr scriven finishing the subject which he was reading and turning to his nephew with his usual dry air well charles he said here is the third day since you arrived in london and i have the honour of seeing you at last charles marston did not think fit to make the slightest excuse or apology contenting himself with the simple facts of having sent to his uncle's house to inquire if he were at home and having afterwards called upon him in the city if you had come yourself charles said his uncle the servant would have told you that i was near at hand and would be home directly and if you had thought fit to remain in london till you saw me yesterday you might have met me at your aunt's house last night i having gone there in the hope of seeing you this seems to me something like an accusation answered charles a little nettled and in regard to the first count of the indictment i must plead that i could not divine that your servants would tell lies they assured mine that they did not know where you were or when you would return in regard to the second count i had business which i judged of importance to take me out of town and as you knew i was gone from dear aunt fleetwood and was aware also of the business that took me i could not suppose that the expectation of meeting me among the number of her ladyship's guests would take you to her house had i known it i might have hurried my return to london then lady fleetwood told you that she had informed me of your expedition said mr scriven in an inquiring tone but with such perfect composure that it provoked his nephew not so replied charles i divined it from her usual conduct and felt sure of it when i found that you had forestalled me in my object mr scriven remained silent for a moment but then he replied quite unmoved your combinations are good charles but sometimes may be mistaken and are always rather too hasty the simple question is this my dear uncle said charles did lady fleetwood inform you or not that i had discovered poor miss hayley in very great misery not far from frimley and that i intended to go down yesterday have her brought to town to see that she was properly taken care of and did you not set off immediately and carry her away to a madhouse who puts the question asked mr scriven with his usual equable manner i do answered charles rather respectful from a nephew to an uncle replied mr scriven dryly and now my dear charles some more serious matters i wrote to you to come over immediately as i wanted to see you charles was angry at the somewhat contemptuous brevity with which his uncle dismissed the subject you will excuse me sir he said but i wish for an answer to my question before we enter upon any other matter you shall have an answer before you leave the room replied mr scriven but i think it necessary to proceed in order for you know my good nephew that i am very methodical and as my letter to you is the first incident chronologically speaking i wish to deal with that first very well sir replied charles what might be the occasion of your wishing my immediate return one of some importance answered mr scriven you and your cousin maria have been brought up in habits of great affection for each other she is exceedingly beautiful and her fortune very large at her father and mother's death has not as you may well suppose diminished under my management 
although she does not go so much into the world as most young women at her time of life yet there is every day a probability of some proposal being made to her which she may think fit to accept now my dear charles i would not have you go on wasting your time in wandering about the continent and throw away an opportunity which may never occur again charles marston smiled my dear aunt fleetwood has bit you sir i think maria and i have a great deal of affection for each other but it is quite brotherly and sisterly i can assure you and will remain so till the end of our days whether i am at babylon or her next-door neighbour in london i advise you for what i think the best charles replied his uncle you are too wise and have too much knowledge of the world i am sure to sacrifice all the important objects of life for romance decidedly answered charles marston you must be very well aware that i have not a particle of romance in my disposition plenty of fun my dear uncle and a great deal of nonsense of different kinds but none of the kind called romance nevertheless setting aside all objections to marrying at all which i suppose you are the last man on earth to undervalue i have an immense number of sufficient objections to the important act and deed of proposing to my cousin maria pray what may they be asked mr scriven dryly in the first place answered his nephew it would take her quite by surprise and i do not wish to surprise her in the second place she would to a certainty refuse me and i do not want to be refused and in the third place if she did by some miracle accept me which nothing but a miracle could produce we should find out in three weeks that we were not suited to each other and in the but why not suited to each other demanded mr scriven interrupting him after listening to his objections with marvellous patience you have no vices that i know of though a great many follies and maria is the sweetest tempered girl in the world you have touched the exact points of difficulty my excellent uncle replied charles marston maria is not fond of follies and i am not fond of sweets i never was even from childhood i always preferred a little sour in my sweetmeats and in short maria and i would never do together she would always let me have my own way and say do just as you like my dear charles now what i want is a wife who would say you shan't do anything of the kind you mad-headed fellow you were going to state a fourth objection i think when i interrupted you said mr scriven with the utmost composure the first three i do not judge very sound i do answered charles and the fourth is still sounder fourthly and lastly then i intend to marry somebody else whom asked mr scriven there my dear uncle you will excuse me replied charles i will beg to keep my own secret till i am formally accepted and i only mention the fact to you to show that the idea of a marriage between maria and myself is a horse without legs it won't go my dear uncle very well said mr scriven gravely and now there is another subject upon which i want to speak to you you have been a very long time doing nothing but amusing yourself you have arrived at an age when many men are making fortunes or laying the foundations of honourable distinction and a great name worldly prosperity is too insecure a thing for any man to rest contented with that which fate or fortune has chosen to bestow without further exertions of his own a man must labour to gain if he would wish to maintain and i think it high time that you should adopt some steady pursuit 
and give up this reckless roaming about the world you have passed the time at which those professions usually selected by young men of gay dispositions idle habits and small brains are open to aspiring youths like yourself i mean the army and navy for law physic or divinity you are not fitted either by intellect study or character mercantile habits however may be embraced at a later period of life and with less preparation to them i should advise you strongly and urge you warmly to apply yourself and that at once charles marston was a good deal annoyed by his uncle's lecture not so much at the matter for he could not help acknowledging that there was a great deal of good sense in what mr scriven said as at the manner which was dictatorial cold and a little contemptuous he replied therefore i am quite aware my dear uncle that for the mercantile profession neither a large portion of intellect a refined education nor an amiable character is required an instinct of gain supplies all deficiencies and although higher qualities may and often do embellish the character of a merchant many men do get on quite as well without however there is a good deal of justice in your observations and although as you know i am not famous for thinking mr scriven nodded his head i have thought of two or three of the topics which you have discussed and moreover some time ago i wrote to my dear father informing him of all my views hopes and wishes without the slightest reserve according to his directions and advice i shall act as soon as i receive his answers for i can perfectly trust to his kindness to his liberality and to his judgment very good said mr scriven i trust and am even sure that his views will be the same as my own for although your father is an exceedingly eccentric man and never acts as any other man would act yet he is in the main a man of good sense and there are circumstances charles marston did not at all like the tone in which mr scriven was speaking of his father he felt himself growing angry and he knew that if he suffered the sensation to go on receiving little additions every moment from his uncle's observations his anger would explode he therefore thought it better to cut the matter short and interrupt mr scriven's picture of his father's character you pride yourself upon being a plain speaker my dear sir he said but observations upon my father's eccentricity as you term it are not pleasant to me having therefore listened attentively to your exhortations on marriage and commerce i will revert if you please to the question i put regarding miss hayley will you propound it said mr scriven i do not take a note of it it was simply answered charles whether my aunt did not tell you that i intended to go down yesterday at three to bring miss hayley to town for the purpose of having her properly taken care of poor thing and whether you did not immediately set out to forestall me and carry her off to a madhouse one answer to the three clauses of your question will suffice replied mr scriven perfectly unmoved yes then i must beg to know said charles where you have carried her for i am determined after the state in which i lately found her to see with my own eyes that she is properly protected for the rest of her life and to provide for it out of my own income i promised to answer your question as first put answered mr scriven coolly and i have done so but i promised no more and now i beg leave to say that i shall not tell you where i have placed miss hayley and pray why not demanded charles in a sharp tone because i have more consideration for your income than you have yourself young man 
replied his uncle. "'You will soon have need of it, every penny of it, sir, and more important duties to perform with it.' "'I do not understand your meaning, sir,' rejoined Charles, a little surprised by a very meaning look upon Mr. Scriven's face, which was rarely suffered to convey anything more than his exact words implied. "'It is very simple,' said Mr. Scriven, rising and pushing over to his nephew two papers, which he had held in his hand for the last five minutes. "'By these two letters you will see what I mean. The one received more than a month ago when I wrote to you, the other yesterday morning. Your father is a bankrupt, Charles Marston, that is all. And now I must go to the counting-house, for it is past the hour. End of chapter 14